0: Well, Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, we'll be in verses 1 through 11 this morning. And when we come to a passage of Scripture like this, and there are other passages like it, sometimes we can be tempted to read it and immediately skip all of the steps of reading Scripture and go straight to application, straight to thinking, all right, what does this text tell me I need to do? Now, we, um, we need, it's not a bad thing that we can see that as we get into the text of Scripture. In fact, we should be really thankful when what we need to do or how we need to change is really obvious to us. We should be thankful for that. But if we come to a passage like this, and we immediately start thinking about us, ourselves, our behavior, our actions. When well, we run the risk of missing the point of the text, and so here in this passage, we're going to see, we are going to see some very real examples, some very real uh, applications that we can make specifically when it comes to us being faithful in our fight against sin and temptation. But. But if we immediately think of that, then we're going to miss the fact that it's not about our faithfulness. This passage is about the one who was faithful. Yes, we can learn about how we are to be faithful, but this passage is more about Jesus Christ than it is about us. You know, for us to uh, just to come to this text and think about what it, what we are supposed to do for it, it's. It would be kind of like us uh, watching a, a John Wayne Western to learn how to ride a horse. Or, kids, because you, you won't get that reference. Kids, it would kind of be like if you guys watch the movie Frozen just to get tips on how to make snowmen. Okay? You might. If you watch a Western, you might learn a little bit of how to ride a horse. Kids, you might watch Frozen. You might actually learn a little bit about how to make a snowman. But if that's all, the only reason you go to those things, you're missing the whole point of the movies. We need to come to this text, and yes, we're going to get some stuff out of it that we need to apply to our lives. But at the end of the day, this text is about Jesus, and we need to remember that as we read it. We need to slow down and look at what this text is telling us about Jesus. So would you listen with me as I read our text for this morning, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Father, I just pray that as we, as we slow down and we take a moment to consider this passage, Father, would you reveal to us the glory of your son Jesus? Would you reveal to us who he is and his faithfulness? And Father, I pray, and in reading this, that you would lead us just to be in awe and wonder Of the Son and lead us to full and complete dependence on Him as our Lord and Savior. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this text, it's gonna, the text breaks down for us into uh, three easy sections. The first is the prelude in verses one and two, the second section is what we'll call the duel, and that's between three and ten. And then finally, we will see the victory in the very last verse. But each one of these sections is going to point us to one main truth about Jesus. And that is that Jesus is the faithful son of God. Jesus is the faithful son of God. Now, a little bit less obvious throughout this whole passage is that not only are we going to learn that Jesus is the faithful son of God, but there's actually going to be uh, Matthew, as he's writing this, he's actually contrasting Jesus with a couple of other sons of God. The first one, and maybe the, the slightly less obvious one, is Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were God's children. They were his creation. They also had a face-to-face encounter with the devil. They failed. They failed. Jesus was faithful. And then the other son of God that we will see Jesus contrasted with is Israel. We read about Israel in Deuteronomy 8 just a a few minutes ago. And Israel, just like Jesus, went into the wilderness. They were called out of Egypt, just like Jesus was called out of Egypt that we saw in chapter 2. And they went into the wilderness to be tested, and, and Israel failed in the wilderness, miserably. Jesus went into the wilderness, and he was faithful. But how was Jesus faithful? Well, let's look at the first section, the prelude, verses one and two. Here we're going to see that Jesus is faithful. Jesus was faithful, and he was faithful in humility. Look at verses one through two. It says, Jesus, then Jesus was led up By the Spirit into the wilderness. First of all, we just need to realize, we just need to look at this first verse and we need to be a little bit surprised. And we need to be a little bit surprised just because of what came directly before this at the end of chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, we know Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, heavens opened, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and then a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, if we're just thinking in human terms of this, Jesus has gotten a pretty good endorsement at this point. The audible voice of God comes from the open heavens and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If it were any one of us and we were taking our message somewhere, we would go with that and we would probably go immediately to Jerusalem to the steps of the temple and we would lay it to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the high priests. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus, instead of immediately going on his public ministry, he disappears from the public eye for over a month. Not only does he he do that, but we, we need to remember, this is God the Son. This is the second person of the Trinity with the full divinity and authority, and yet he is being led by the Spirit, Jesus submits to the authority of the Father and goes where He is led. So He shows His humility in that. But also, just just looking at verse two, it says that, and f- after fasting forty days and forty nights, He was hungry. Number one, we see we see Jesus's humility and His faithfulness here in that He was. He was a human being. He was fully God and fully man. He fasts and he is hungry. But another thing that we see, Jesus is fasting. Now, fasting is not really popular for any of us to talk about, especially in our culture, especially, it seems, as Southern Baptists because we do like to eat. But fasting is important. Now, let's, let's just remind ourselves of a, a quick definition of fasting And uh, I'm taking this, or summarizing this actually from Don Whitney's book, The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, which, by the way, I highly recommend. We can't get too much into fasting today, but the chapter in that book about fasting is, is extremely useful. Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Don Whitney. But he defines fasting as abstaining from food, possibly some other things as well, but specifically abstaining from food, for spiritual purposes and very much connected with prayer. And so we see here again Jesus, God the Son, who is the, the entire universe was created by him, and yet he is here. He is fasting, he is spending time in prayer, in communion with the Father, in preparation. The text doesn't tell us if he's preparing specifically for the temptation or he's specifically praying. For the beginning of his public ministry, it could be that, it could be both. But at the end of the day, Jesus is showing his humility by spending time alone with a father, not going out on his own, but spending time with his father, fasting, abstaining from food for the spiritual purpose of being with his father and depending on him. So Jesus shows his faithfulness through his humility. And one other thing before we leave the first two verses, we need to to realize, we need to remember that God uses trials. He uses trials and he uses them for our good. We need to look at this passage and realize that the devil didn't just show up in the wilderness and he didn't surprise anyone. This wasn't an ambush. This wasn't a surprise attack. No, it says Jesus was led up by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This was the, one of the reasons that he is there in the wilderness. So Jesus is not surprised. God is not surprised by the devil and his appearing. He is here for a purpose. He is here in the wilderness to show that he is the faithful son of God. Well the second section is the duel, and that's in verses three to ten. Now I, I call it the duel because we really need to look at this passage, and we really need to see a conflict, a cosmic conflict, spiritual warfare at its most intense point, where maybe not the most intense point, but at a seriously intense point. We need to see here a clash between the hero and the villain of the story of the entire story. Of scripture. And not is it just a clash, but it's one that's been anticipated if we've been reading our Bible since Genesis 3. Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve, they're tempted directly face to face by the devil and they fall. Even in their fall, the situation is not completely hopeless because God makes a promise, not just to the man and the woman, but he makes a promise to Satan that one day one day an offspring of the woman will come and crush his head, though the serpent will bruise his heel. So this is that, this is that conflict. This is what we have been building up to for all these points of Scripture, this, this clash between titans, between God the Son, and between Satan the devil. Now again, we may, we may look at this and we may think, well, I don't see any weapons. I don't see any swords But this still is a conflict. It is a spiritual conflict. And we should feel the the conflict and the tension and the action in this. And we'll see the devil will make three attacks. And Jesus will make three defenses. And Jesus will be victorious in the end. With the first attack. Beginning in verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan here is doing something that has been a tactic of his since the very beginning of him coming into the world in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, if we think back to that, we may remember that his very first words to Eve are, did God really say? Did God really say you aren't able to eat from any fruit of the trees of the garden so what satan is doing here is he's trying to sow doubt he's trying to get jesus to doubt the father and then he brings the temptation command these stones to become loaves of bread well that's an odd temptation That's an odd temptation, and and if we remember from Hebrews, we we remember that Jesus has been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, and yet we look at this, and we think, I have never, ever been tempted to try and turn stones into loaves. If you have, please let me know, because that would be a really cool way to make bread, but that is a weird temptation. That is a strange temptation, when we just look at the face of it, however, Let's look at it. Let's break it down a little bit. Jesus has been fasting. Jesus is hungry. It's very, very simple. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. He is hungry, yet he has just heard 40 days previously that he is God's beloved son. And so what Satan is doing here is he's trying, he's trying to get Jesus He's trying to get doubt in his mind that says, Jesus, you know, God said, God said that he would take care of you and yet you're here, you're hungry. Maybe it's time to stop relying on God and maybe it's time to start taking care of yourself. Maybe it's time to stop trusting God and start trusting in yourself. Now that, that sounds like a temptation that we do face. And that's not a new temptation for the devil either. If we remember Abraham in the story in Genesis, Abraham is promised by God that that he and his wife Sarai will, will have a baby, a child of promise, and that he will become a father of many nations. Well, God delays, and God doesn't fulfill that promise immediately, so Abram and Sarai take matters into their own hands. Sarai gives Abram Hagar, her servant, to be his wife, and nothing good comes of it. This is what Jesus is being tempted to do. Jesus is being tempted to stop trusting in God and start trusting in himself. Well, how does Jesus prove himself faithful? But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's interesting when I was reading some commentary this, uh, this week and preparing for this, I was reading Charles Spurgeon, who just always has great language. And when he talks about Jesus uh, beginning to quote Scripture, he says, out flashes the sword of the Spirit. Maybe I just thought that was fun, but I thought that was pretty cool. But that is what Jesus does. Jesus resists the temptation specifically by quoting Scripture by quoting scripture, by by saying that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was being tested. He was being tested to begin to serve himself, and yet he decides instead to trust that God is going to take care of him, that God would provide for his needs, but God would do it in his own time and in his own way. We can see Jesus actually teaching us the same thing in just a a couple of chapters over in, in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 32, or excuse me, in verse 31, where he tells the people at the Sermon on the Mount, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus decides to trust that God the Father is going to take care of him as he is pursuing him and he is willing to wait and he's willing to trust even if it doesn't happen in the timetable that makes him most comfortable. And so Jesus thwarts the first attack of the devil. Well, the devil's stubborn, and so he tries again. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. That should be just a a little bit disturbing for his readers and for us. It's specifically the holy city and the temple, and yet the devil is there. But the disturbing part continues. If you are the son of God, he's throwing out the doubt again, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. For it is written. Now, if you look in your Bible, Satan is speaking here. He just says, for it is written. And if you look in your Bible and you have cross-references, what Satan's about to say has a cross-reference. That should be disturbing. That disturbs me. Satan here is using Scripture to tempt Jesus. Now, he takes scripture and he twists it. He's actually quoting Psalm 91, which is all about following after God and, and following him and that, that God will take care of those who are, who are seeking after him. But Satan is twisting it and he's twisting it in order to get Jesus to, to test God. And in fact, a, a way for us to think about this is Satan, after he's been thwarted in his first Attempt is is essentially saying through this temptation, well, okay, you trust God, we, we've got that. How about how about let's just make sure, let's just make sure. You say you trust God. You say you're, he's going to take care of you. Let's let's maybe do something just to confirm the fact that Jesus is or that God is caring for you, that the Father is caring for you. And this is much like, and in fact, Jesus's quote points back to Deuteronomy chapter six when he responds to it, when he says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That passage in Deuteronomy six actually is is referring to a point in Israel's history when they're in the wilderness, they have no water and they start to doubt and they start to say out loud, well, God must not be able to take care of us. We don't have any water. Jesus, even in the face of, of the twisting of Scripture, even in the face of the second temptation, responds with faith and with trust. And he responds by not putting God to the test. And then the last temptation, Satan has been defeated and defended against twice, and so the last temptation we can kind of see is just a, the last strike. Satan put everything he can into one final temptation. No deceit this time. Verse 8, no, no if for no sowing of doubt. Just a blatant temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. No deceit, just an offer of all the kings of the world if you will fall down and worship me. Why is this a temptation? Well, this is a, this is a temptation. The, the kings of the world, they are not Satan's to offer. He may have authority and influence now, but the scripture is clear And we see later in Philippians that that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. If we look at the servant psalms of Isaiah, we see the servant, the Messiah would come and he would have authority. He would have all authority in the whole earth. And yet what Satan is offering him here is authority without the suffering. Jesus does have the authority, but the plan that he made with his father before the world began involved his authority coming through the way of the suffering of the cross. Satan is attempting to get Jesus to bypass that. Why suffer needlessly? I can give you the entire world now. Yet Jesus proves himself faithful Again, be gone Satan, for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Jesus doesn't bypass the cross. Jesus chooses to suffer. Jesus proves that he is the faithful son of God because he chooses to follow God even if it means even if it means his suffering, even if it means his death. Hebrews 12, 2 says this about Jesus. And he is the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus does not try and avoid the suffering that God the Father had set before him, but he goes into it clear-eyed, knowing where this would lead. He doesn't take the shortcut. He doesn't take the avoidance of suffering, but he follows, even to death, death on a cross. Again, this this passage is, is not about us. This passage is about Jesus and how he is the faithful son of God, but in Jesus's faithfulness, He is not just resisting sin and temptation, but he also gives us, he gives us an example that we are to follow. And we don't follow it perfectly like he does, but he gives us the example of knowing scripture, of knowing the word and using that for battling temptation. Know your Bible and rightly apply it. When we face sin and temptation, when we face the the evil that lurks within us, then we need to know God and His Word, and we need to use that as we fight and battle against temptation. And the other thing we need to remember is that Jesus sets an example for us faithful obedience, even in the face of worldly risk. Jesus told his followers, and he tells us that in this world we will have trouble but fear not, for I have overcome the world. If we are to follow Jesus, if we are to put our faith and trust in him, we will not have an easy go of it. There will be suffering. It is, it is guaranteed for us, and we need to follow the example of Jesus' faithful obedience, no matter what suffering may come. And the last verse Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I love this last verse because uh, Jesus says, Be gone, Satan. And what does Satan do? He leaves. Satan leaves because when the Son of God, when God the Son says to leave, Satan can't help but obey. Satan is not outside of the control of the son. Jesus can command him to go and he goes and he leaves. And so as we think about this passage and we think about the faithfulness of the son, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice that the promised one who would crush the head of the serpent has come. Let us rejoice because Jesus, who was faithful and is the faithful son of God, has defeated Satan, has defeated sin and death. We also need to remember, just as we reflect and look at this passage, and I told us at the beginning that there are, there are two comparisons that Matthew is making, the, the subtle Adam and Eve comparison with Jesus and then also Israel. What's interesting about Adam and Eve is they had a face to face encounter. They were tempted directly by Satan, but if we look at the story of Israel, Satan's not there because Israel was sinful within themselves. Adam and Eve were, were not sinful until they committed sin, and yet. Scripture is clear that we are born in sin, and Israel, the nation of Israel, was born in sin. And if we think about us and we think about all of the, the characters in this story, we're really, we are more like the contrasting character of Israel because you and I are sinners. We are like Israel, We will rebel. We will fail again and again and again. We need a hero. We need a rescuer. And not just from the external forces of Satan and demons, but we need a rescuer from the sin and the evil that rests within our own hearts and our own souls. But thankfully, we have the faithful son of God who never sinned who never sinned and who went all the way to the cross to pay the punishment for our sin and to take it upon himself. If we would just put our faith in him and trust in him, he will save us and he will redeem us. Let me close with this passage of scripture. 2 Peter, verses 22 through 25. He committed no sin, talking about Jesus, an overseer of your souls. Let's pray together.